You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. She didn't think I'd recognize you after what you did to our son. Your husband's still alive. His heart's still beating. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi, and we're finishing up our look at the Crow Quadrilogy, I guess you'd call it, with the Crow Wicked Prayer, inspired by the spin-off novel by Norman Partridge, but originally, you know, all based off the comic, uh, however loosely, by James O. Barr. This stars Edward Furlong, David Boreanaz, Tara Reid, and our, our favorite Uncle Dennis, Dennis Hopper, mm. uh, came out in 2005, uh, although, I mean, it's technically direct-to-video, it did play in theaters for a week in Seattle, I don't... I don't know if they thought this was going to qualify for Academy Awards, but um, whatever. Uh, directed by Lance Mungia. Um, with me is Thrasher. Well, wicked-ass props to you, Mr. OG, and thanks for representing all the homeboys. And Alex. You had the keys to daddy's car, man, but you couldn't handle the horsepower. <laughs> right. Um, you know, maybe they were hoping if they released it in theaters, if Dennis Hopper had died that year, footage from their movie would have ended up in the in memoriam. Oh, well, we had mentioned that um, the last one, Crow Salvation, was meant to be in theaters. And then the Weinsteins kind of, excuse me, Dimension Films, you know, sat on it for like a year or two and then released it direct to video. This one, I think, was also originally meant to be theatrical. I did find some interviews with Edward Furlong and David Boreanaz saying they were pretty excited about this one. Um, but before we get into it, let's kind of give some initial impressions. I think for all of us, um, I, I almost bought this back in the day when I, I worked retail because the cover uh, showing Edward Furlong, Tara Reid, and David Boreanaz in a Crow movie was almost too much to resist, but I managed right. to resist it and not they blow $10 on it. They managed to keep Dennis Hopper's name off the cover. <laughs> You're right, that's shocking. But for the demographic, would they know who Dennis Hopper is? I I think so. Dennis Dennis Hopper is enough of an omnipresent figure in film. I feel like they would have put it on there, if only because that's something distributors would certainly want to see. And also, well, that's just, the thing that like people's like you know, it's like oh, that's the guy my dad likes. You know what I mean? Mm, right. Like and maybe like you know, know, you you go to your dad and you're like a, a middle school like, quasi goth and go, oh dad, I want to watch the Crow Wicked Prayer. He's like, oh, it has Dennis Hopper. This must be good. Well, yeah, know, there, it won't be entirely terrible because it has Dennis Hopper. Uh, yeah. Um, Tell me, and, son, did you see that movie where he played the raving lunatic? <laughs> Which one? I, I can't Ooh. take my take credit from that. That's from an episode of Pinky and the Brain. Oh, yeah. Speaking <laughs> of which, they're doing new Pinky and the Brain segments on the Animaniac show coming on Hulu, the new uh, revival of it. Did Actually, did you see the, the video that Maurice LaMarche took at the soundstage? I did, and you can see kind of out of focus in the background the anima the animation playing as the live orchestra does the Pinky and the Brain theme song. 
it's it's really touching uh and and mm-hmm. the fact that we're talking about an animaniacs revival should let you know <laughs> what we think about crow wicked prayer we know what this you, you know what this means pinky the same thing it does every week brian what's that it's time to talk about another crow movie those are terrible impersonations so let's keep on going <laughs> point um what thrasher yep Oh, no, I just said point. That was one of Pinky's nonsense sounds. <laughs> yeah. There's some nonsense sounds in this movie, too. Oh, there's a lot of nonsense sounds. Um, I mean, yeah, watching this, some just quick initial impressions. I was feeling like, you know, I do like the setting is like the Southwest kind of Tex-Mex thing going on. It feels a bit like a Robert Rodriguez at times. And yeah. I, well, I, this is a tragically 2000s movie. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Like every every flourish in this movie is is something that you would see all over different so two thousand movies, not necessarily yep. for the best of it, uh, which and but of course it was the apotheosis of stuff that people were putting into movies in the late nineties. But Keep yeah, talking, there, there is I'm gonna my cat screaming at me. But also, like, I think this is the most confusing first five minutes I've seen of any like <laughs> contemporary film. Within the first five minutes, you have these characters introduced, named after the four horsemen of the apocalypse, with these weird descriptions like motivation, like killed by Indians. You got guys like spin kicking cans of petrol on fire. And these dudes, like, it's like this weird made-for-cable version of uh, The Devil's Rejects or something like that. And then, like, all, like they, they, they reveal the ultimate badass, the guy with a hood on his head. And it's fucking David Boreanaz. <laughs> After Tara Reid shoots his handcuffs off from a sniper, from a sniper fucking setup in a church tower. It's, I, I swear to God, I was like, is this like a strike break thing? Is this like a coal miner movie? Is this like a union allegory? Well, Within I mean, the first five yeah. minutes, I was like, what the fuck did I just see? <laughs> well, and also it, it introduces the bad guys and you see like the, the font choice and stuff is, is what they'd use uh, basically identically years later in uh, Suicide Squad. Oh, yeah. Introducing those guys. Looks more like something out of a trailer than an actual movie. It, it feels a bit like they're, they're trying to go for a bit of the... Uh, the Hong Kong action thing when someone gets hit, like they fly across the room. I mean, really, this is like ripping off the Matrix a bit too late, but like oh, everything's yeah. so cartoony, it feels like uh, you're playing Street Fighter or something. Well, they yeah. figured, well, I guess we can't do horror, so let's go for action comedy. Uh, and then, <laughs> yeah. Beyond that, though, comedy? The, the, be- the beginning, because like the other Crow movies, I got to give them credit. They get to the Crow really fast, not this one. Yep. Uh, it is a ha- it is more than a half hour into this film before we get our crow, and and you and it's so the intro is so weirdly packed. Like I, I initially thought th- these were the heroes, but I don't think that impression was intentional because there's no. that whole intro about how there's a mine and it's causing cancer and all this stuff. Right. And I'm like, like oh well, these are the that. people who are going to get retribution against the mining company. Oh no, they're just doing evil shit for the sake of doing evil shit. And in fact, the whole, the whole mine versus casino thing gets forgotten really quick. Oh, I mean, so yeah. Like a suggestion of a subplot, like at, at best, uh-huh. something that got cut out. But like, I, I did find a good interview with Edward Furlong and I, I'm paraphrasing here. I don't have it in front of me, but he, he more or less was saying he worked with the, the screenwriters and they have three different screenwriters credited. You have the director, Lance Munguia and then Jeff Most and Sean Hood. Um, so I'm not sure which one he's talking about. Maybe the director. And, he mentions he, the other movies start with the crow so soon. He really wanted to have time set up that we get to see who the man was before he becomes the crow. 
and yeah, Furlong was directly responsible for that. But um, Edward Furlong, I think when he's the crow, I think he's actually pretty good. But when he's just himself, it's a bit like melodramatic and, and at the same time a little flat. It reminds me a bit of Vincent Perez in The Crow, City of Angels, the second one. Yeah, and it's just, once again, it's like you have this other like convoluted backstory where like, he and David Boreanaz were like, jailing together and they were like buds mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. like that that was also some no they're brothers packing they're brothers okay uh, yeah, yeah I was like, which the buds. movie holds off on dealing with for a while right but well that's that's the thing it's like this this because you know the like the other crazy origin story wrongfully murdered comes back to life and, and to get revenge this yep. crow has such a convoluted origin story like and and this doesn't come up until like the third like near the third act, but in the beginning, we find out that the that his the local community is against him. Everyone, no one wants to talk to him. Everyone calls him killer. They like spray paint murderer over his over his the trailer that he lives in. And when we finally learn why, it it is it, it falls so flat because it turns out he beat a rapist to death, a rapist who everyone saw trying to rape someone in a public park. Why does right. everyone hate him? Yeah. I mean, and, like, it, it was, like, pretty overtly bad. Like, you know, this dude mm-hmm. is obviously going to, like, attack this chick, is attacking this girl. And, you know, he, you know, whoops his ass and kills him. And, again, once, you know, he's painted as, like, this horrible guy. And I feel like that was meant to be this, like, you know, huge revelation. And the reveal is just so flat-footed. I'm like, oh, that's why they spray-painted that thing I completely forgot about 45 minutes ago. <laughs> it, it's so, it's just so bizarre. And, and... Like, and that, like, like, I guess I think there's some implication that, like, the the guy that he killed was like a local sports hero or something. Not yeah, that I believe this community team. has local sports, but mm-hmm. like, if you're gonna do that, then just have someone in league with the bad guy who, like, who like brought some sort of hammer down on our main on our main character because it was his kid or whatnot. Like, I don't, I don't believe. I, I do not buy anything in this movie. I'll just put that out yeah. there. This movie is this such is... a fantasy, but not in a way that I can invest in. And also the bad guys are yeah. so corny. And like, I feel like yes. it's like a, you get the feeling that like David Boreanaz, Tara Reid especially, and um, like Tito Ortiz and these guys, like they know they're in they're They know they're what they're doing is stupid. I mean, they're eating deviled eggs for Christ's sakes. I, oh, uh, that, that, I, that scene, perhaps, it, they even do flashbacks to it. For I mean, there's so many damn flashbacks, but they do oh, flashbacks of the fucking scene where, I mean, they're, they're part of this uh, Satanist group. And they're like, we get deviled eggs and for dessert, devil's food cake. And David Boreanaz puts and his hand in the cake and smushes it and smacks it in his mouth. It's so stupid. Mm. It's like, I feel like there's like a little bit of like self-conscious hamminess on David Boreanaz's part because I think. He knows yes. what he's doing is stupid. Well, I mean, and also Harry... think about it. Before this came out in 2005, so I mean, around the time this was filming was probably not that long after he finished up doing Angel, which was originally right. a character on Buffy that goes on spinoff series. And Angel, um, except when he's a vampire, he's kind of this reserved character. And I think maybe he's trying to get like, let's really go over the top with this. And he's almost kind of doing like a Jim Carrey thing well, at I times. In Buffy, think... when Angel's evil. Like, I feel like he does, like, the hammy evil angel Yes, yeah, I can see that, sure. 
Yeah. Well, I think I think it, it is kind of calculated on his part because just looking at the timeline, this movie was released after the last season of Angel. But just right. looking at yeah. when it was filmed, it was probably filmed right before the final season of Angel was filmed. So I can totally you know see him saying, "Well, this is low budget enough that I'll just have fun with the part." Right. But it's part of a franchise, so this will be what helps me get into bigger films because I know I know my meal ticket series is ending soon. Right, and, and this ironic, is, you know, the sat on the shelf too. Right, like, and you know, uh, with Boreanaz, um, he he tried some theatrical stuff to his credit. You know, like Valentine, I think was kind of a horror movie he did while all that stuff was going on. But really, his his next meal ticket was uh, the show Bones, which went on for several years, very successful. Yeah, it might still be going on, as far as I know. It's not really something I watch, but it's um, and at the time there was sort of a stigma of TV actors versus movie actors. I don't think I mean The Sopranos kind of kickstarted TV getting respected a little bit, but it was, I would say maybe actually around this time, you know, he had a Sci-Fi Channel with the Battlestar Galactica, uh, two thousand early two thousand series, and um. Uh, some of the AMC Mad Men stuff, right, kind of made I also TV. Think like, um, like The Shield was one of the early shows. Yes, where yes, it sure. Wasn't as to be yep. like a TV yep. actor, you had like, you know, um, Glenn Close and Forrest Whitaker popping up. You're like, what the hell are you doing on TV, Glenn Close? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, and I, I think part of the actors doing that was a reaction to you didn't really see uh, mid-budgeted adult dramas made for theaters anymore. It was either. Right. Uh, I mean, it wasn't like comic book stuff at this time, but, um, you know, kind of big budget or no budget. Right. Yeah. A lot of fantasy, a lot of like Middle Earth going on at this time. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Bridge to Terabithia, yeah. all these things yep. that, you know, never got yeah. sequels. But, um, but yeah, we, it, it takes us forever to get to the crow. And then when they do, it's, so did you guys notice that like they would cut to the little cronies in the gang, like, um, Tito Ortiz and like, you could see these like pains of conscience in their face. Like they're like, oh, they kind of had like mixed feelings about what they were doing. And then these characters just kind of disappear, and then they throw them in a fridge, light the fridge on fire. It's like... <laughs> so... <laughs> throw it into toxic waste dump. Right. And also, did you guys notice that, like, so some of the water was on fire, but underneath the pond, you could see fill lights in the actual yeah. water. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't help that this is in the Southwest. Every shot outside is, like, in broad daylight. I mean, part of the reason you film stuff at night, yeah, it looks cool, but it's right. also to hide all, all the wizardry that's going on thrasher well, I, you wanted to make a point about the pit about the uh how the crow looks with his uh the eyeliner stuff and how it's set up with the photo yeah for, well first those lights i can't help but feel that that was something they intended to put a digital effect in for and then forgot about it but yeah okay so so the crow you know we've seen like in the in the first film he becomes the like the look of the crow is inspired by a harlequin mask the main character has second mm -hmm. movie he looks like the crow because the girl from the first crow puts the makeup on him. Third movie, he gets the crow look because by some amazing coincidence, the electric chair mask burns the tattoos into his face. This movie, as near as like he becomes the crow because there's an old picture of him in the crow makeup. So I can only assume he has this character has seen one of the earlier movies and cosplayed as the crow once. <laughs> yeah, it almost seems like like that's like a couple they were like joking or something because like there's just like the eye parts that are that are crowy. It's, it looks like it's like there's no real explanation or anything. So maybe yeah, maybe this is a world where the first three crow movies exist. I don't know. It's so bizarre because there are so many. They try to put in so many like Native American 
uh, connections into this movie. Oh, surely, surely, like you, you could have, and even the the character himself. I think he's supposed to be like part Mexican and part part uh, Native American because they 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 keep talking about it being a a, a Crow Aztec reservation. Please right. correct me if I'm wrong, but I looked into this. I don't think that's a real thing. I don't think it is either. I think I'm not surprised, but I'm not surprised that it's not real. I mean, yeah, Danny Trejo's in this. I did not realize Danny Trejo is a second cousin of Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. Um, and, oh, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. And, and Trejo's been, he's, uh, he's American, born to uh, Mexican-American parents, and he, he served um, jail time, but since then, you know, he's... He's Christian. He does a lot of uh, food. Um, what is it? Soup kitchen stuff. He, yeah. he he's owns got the Trejo's a, Tacos food truck. A, yeah, yeah. Did the taqueria stuff. I mean, he's done yeah, and like most characters. Really great stuff. He's, he's like a sweetheart in real life, of course. Oh, yeah, no, I, and, I met him at a convention. He's a real nice guy. Oh, did yeah, you? No, I've always wanted to shake his hand and just say thank you for all the... I mean, and Danny Trejo, not unlike Dennis Hopper or Samuel L. Jackson is a real, uh, I'd like to call him like Ham and Egger, like a real like working actor. And that oh, yeah. they, they love Everything. doing the work, so they're working all the time. And I, I think of a quote, um, one of my favorite comedians, Gilbert Gottfried, said people are asking him why you're in so much shit. And he's like, well, when you get something, you don't know that it's going to be crap. I don't think anyone is you know, going to be spent working 16-hour, 20-hour days to make a piece of shit movie. But at the end of the day, like, what's the worst thing that happens? You get a few dollars richer. <laughs> right and exactly. and I, I think you know that's a really healthy uh, uh attitude to to oh, have yeah. really yeah. um and so i mean trejo in this is i, I wish they'd use him some more really because yeah he's, he's not utilized. He, he's not too bad he he's really good at um having like a beleaguered look on his face or looking pissed mm-hmm. off like he doesn't have to do a whole lot with his face <laughs> to look like that and I think um, he's well cast. But what do we think of our beloved Uncle Dennis, Dennis Hopper, oh, as El know, Nino? <laughs> I think somebody calls him Nino. Goes, it's El Nino, man. Um, <laughs> I thought he was uniformly pretty great. I was wondering if he was going to underplay it, kind of like he did in uh, Land of the Dead, which nope. we covered not too long ago. Uh, but no, he's kind of doing his full tilt, um, you know, unhinged, uh, sober Dennis uh, era. So. I had a lot of fun with it. It was probably the only part of the film I actually enjoyed. It was a highlight for me. Just that, and that's that's something that I love about about Dennis Hopper. You can give him any line, and he will he'll he'll give you those lines back, like on on that that same level. And like I love I love him. Like they they give they give him that like that like urban hip hop patois. Or, but like he 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 just reads it like Dennis Hopper, and that only makes it better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love and, it, and he and he's not trying to um, sound like a African American when he's saying it or anything. He's not trying to be. He's just trying to say it like matter of factly, right. as someone that yeah. uses these words a lot. But at the same time, whether it's because of Hopper's accents or the kind of roles he usually plays, it sounds like he doesn't quite get what he's saying. But his enthusiasm makes it work yeah. somehow. I I now pronounce you the devil and his shorty man. I love it. Like I, he, he's always communicating a lot in his performances, whether it's delivering a weird line, like you said, like my shorty man, or like you know, do you take him to be Satan, man? Come on, Holmes, don't yeah. touch my jacket. <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah, just I, I love his un, unhinged communication. It's so brilliant. Um, there was and, another weird Western well, connection, though, in the beginning. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. And I wanted to touch on this. In mm-hmm. the beginning when they're, you know, doing the deed and killing the, you know, lovely couple, they carve out the girl's eyes and David Boreanaz literally says, uh, without eyes, she's doomed to wander the spirit world forever between the winds. That's literally a quote from The Searchers, the John Wayne, John oh, Ford. Oh, I was okay. going to bring that up. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And I was say that dialogue seemed a bit too good for this movie. Right. And that's like, at first I was like, oh, it's, probably, it's a homage to the searchers. And the more I thought, because I've seen the searchers a bajillion times. And that's literally the line without eyes, the Comanche's doomed to wander the, wander the spirit world between the winds. And I would, that I was wondering how that was going to come back and play into the story, and it does in like one of the weird little glitchy flashbacks that looks like some early Final Cut special effects. But then at the end, when Furlong is reunited with his beloved, she's fine. She's all good again, eyes or no eyes. So it was just a dumb, another dumb thing to commit to that doesn't pay off. And I don't know if it's actual Comanche lore. I don't think it is. But It, it is my understanding that was made up for the movie, but I am not a scholar of anthropology, so I can't say for sure. Right. Like, I, I, mean, appreci- I appreciate the reference. Yes. In fact, in fact, this podcast was originally going to be called, instead of Sequel Cast 2, Scholars of uh, Anthropology. Oh, totally. But, Cast. you know, we ended up changing the name. It's a bit, uh, bit long. So, I mean, with this, notes. one actress that gets uh, um, a lot of shit often unfairly is Tara Reid. But I actually think she's not that bad as the girlfriend, uh, as Lola. Well, she's doing kind of a Sherry Moon zombie thing, Uh but it works. It works for her in this movie. Especially the scenes where she has, like, the the mask on her face, and she's doing this weird kind of, um, oh, almost like what the the actress did in Queen of the Damned, and uh, what the hell? What's her name? Aaliyah? Was she the one that that died? Rihanna. Um, No, no, Rihanna's not. Aaliyah? No? What the hell is her name? No, I think it was Aaliyah. Was it? Oh, um, Queen of the Damned, right? Yeah, Queen of the Damned, right. But, I mean, she's doing this kind of weird, like, hip-shaking thing. She seems to be having fun. Like, I don't recall seeing something before where she's played a bad guy. I mean, she's much better in this than, say, Uwe Boll's Alone in the Dark. Oh, it was Aaliyah, just just verifying that. Okay, thanks. um, Yeah, like, I I do think she unfairly gets a lot of shit. And considering what they're giving her, she's doing pretty damn good. Because I just noticed with all the bad guys when they're together, they almost look like they're in the middle of, like, a bad improv skit. So like, a couple of people are holding knives, yeah. someone's got a mask on, and they're kind of like, they almost look like they're waiting for direction and not just not getting it um, <laughs> in between the rounds of deviled eggs. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, she was an interesting flourish, you know, and um, it was just like the, I, I feel like she was kind of doing her own thing instead of trying to commit to the, like, the witchy bad guy vibe, which the Crow movies established with their villains. Well, it is, it is nice that at least these villains are like a cult from the beginning. Yeah, I, exactly. I always feel like they wait a little too long to introduce the fact that the other villains are into spooky magic. I, so I was I was really excited when I saw that this cult was going to be into spooky magic from the start, but they could have they could have taken it a bit further. Yeah, they're good cultists, horrible criminals. <laughs> <laughs> they ride around with cars that have you know <laughs> their nicknames airbrushed on them with some goofy artwork accompanying well, it. I love this whole, like, ver- I love this. Uh, the one thing I did kind of like was their whole thing where for, for part of their, their ritual that they're trying to do, they need a virgin sacrifice. And I love that they can't find a virgin anywhere. Right. <laughs> and then when they finally find a virgin, uh, it's, it's the, uh, regrettably it's the token black character, but like who, who has had nothing but bad luck the entire movie. The guy who drives the hearse, who gets kidnapped and his hearse stolen. Turns out he's been saving himself for marriage. So I do, I do like the right. fact that the virgin that they find is like in his thirties. 
Yeah, I thought um, that was I thought that was interesting too. And I also, when he's driving the hearse and he sees Edward Furlong, I mean the crow, and he's like, "Whoa!" I was just like, "There is nothing intimidating about him right now. He looks like Winona Ryder going to a Kiss concert." Like, oh yeah, why don't we get into that? Yeah, why don't we get into that a bit? Like his performance as the crow, because I mean, you know, much like a Batman movie or something, you have (laughs) the identity of the guy as a human, and this was they spend forever on, and, and him as the crow, and. Uh, they did have Edward Furlong go on a strict uh, diet and workout regimen, and he does look, um, you, you know, I guess in shape for this. Yeah, he's not, um, but they're not going to mistake him for a very intimidating dude. No, and well, he is he. Let me look up his height. He seems a bit short. Well, the way they frame him, he always looks like the shortest character in every scene. I don't know if he actually is the shortest character in every scene. But they don't they don't shoot him in a way that makes him intimidating. It well, David Boreanaz like, is quite tall. I mean, that's part yeah, of it. But he's huge. You, and also, like, there is... The other ones had, you know, a lot of makeup around the eyes. And this, with the two little lines, even from, like, long-distance shots, it's kind of easy to miss that. So it just looks like he's in this, like, mime makeup with the black <laughs> lipstick. And yeah. But, but uh, vocally, when he talks, you know, there's some scenes where he, he's trying to bring an edge to it. And I think that's that's effective. Like, that's not bad. Uh, I feel like he's the one that's trying the hardest. And yes, I feel of like course. Sure. Knows they're kind of doing something stupid, uh-huh. whereas Edward Furlong's like really, really, he's putting in a lot of effort. I feel like, and like so many other things, he's just not doesn't have a lot to work with. Well, I feel <laughs> that he is most successful when he tries to tap into that same sort of stream of dark humor that Brandon mm, Lee had. Sure. When he yeah. when he taps into that, he's quite good as the crow. But when he's trying to just be brooding and badass, it it feels very flat. Yeah, like the like I was saying, the scene where the he um, walks in front of the, the hearse, and it's just kind of like it's almost kind of funny. You're like, what is this guy doing? He looks like just like a freaking meth head walking out of a cradle of filth concert or something. Like, <laughs> just doesn't look right. But the too, fight I... scenes, sorry. Oh, and then also like the fight scenes too. There's just a lot of bad cutting. You can tell like they are using body doubles and villains and stunt people and stuff. Like, it'll be like punch, kick, punch, cut, and then you'll see him from the back. You know. And it's just very uh, clumsy, yeah. When someone's finishing like a, a combo of fight moves, it always ends with someone like they don't just fall down to the ground; they like blow out through a window, <laughs> <laughs> landing on their forehead or something. Like it's the most, and I, I think that helps make the movie more watchable. Really, it's this like yeah. over the top satanic powers. You, we haven't really seen much of that since uh, perhaps, um, you know, the end of Crow City of Angels, where he had kind of the more supernatural stuff going on. And the Crow Wicked Prayer, I mean, that's kind of a cool title, but what does that mean? I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. guess it's the cult's prayers to Satan, maybe? Right. Mm, okay. Prayer for new devil egg recipes. Yeah, just call it the Crow versus Satanist. I don't know. Oh, yeah. okay, so so the, the, cult, the cult's whole evil plan that... Uh, that Lola and Luke, who by the way, whose last names are Crash and Burn, which Dennis Hopper mm. hangs a nice lantern on. Yeah. Uh, like their their whole their whole thing is she's got that book of sorcery. They're trying to do some sort of ritual. Turns out the ritual is to make Luke the literal antichrist, and to do that, there has to be this ritual wedding, and they have to have a virgin sacrifice, and then they have to consecrate the wedding on on sacred ground. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it's one of those, and it's. And it's it's one of those things where, like I, they they for villains they cut it way too close. Like even Lola's like, come on, we gotta consummate this thing so that the spell is fixed. Let's go, let's go. <laughs> and like 
And, like, I don't buy that he's swaggering around wasting time until, like, right before sunrise. Right. Although when he becomes the Antichrist, he gets a little extra swagger. I can't help but think he wanted to do kind of a Reverend Horton Heat Southwestern rockabilly thing. Yeah, he's got the getup for it, for sure. Right. It's, um... Like, who, know, who knows what they were thinking when they did this film? Like, I did, you know, this is something that's been released on a few different DVD compilations. Mostly every time, compilations. Yeah, yeah. Well, every time the only special feature is that it's in widescreen, which uh, is only something you would see listed as a special feature when the DVD format first came out. Um, and oddly effective. enough, there is a, a Blu-ray release uh, in, in 2012 by Echo Bridge. Echo Bridge really picks up a lot of slack in releasing a lot of stuff on physical media when a lot of other companies don't. Cool. Um, it, like, especially like a lot of TV series where it's like 50 disc set, but like everything's packaged like shit in the box. Um, anyhow, this was on a double feature with Crow City of Angels on Blu-ray, oddly enough, and not Salvation. Weird. And I, won- okay. and I, I don't know if they thought this cast had more sex appeal or, or something, but... That's it's, weird it's, skip, that- it's the second and fourth now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't that, isn't that strange? Like you, yeah, the third um, and fourth movies have pretty strong casts. I mean, with the last mm-hmm. one, we had Kirsten Dunst, Fred Ward, uh, you know. Yeah. And then here you got Dennis Hopper, Tara Reid, Edward Furlong. These are all pretty, you know, David Boreanaz, Danny Trejo. These are all pretty well-known dudes at this point. Unlike Crow City of Angels, that has uh, the girl from Power Rangers and... Uh, and the guy from a French movie or two. Mm-hmm. Um... <laughs> Yeah, this is uh, just uh, awkward and uh, very. Is, this is like a very silly movie. I'm like, this is silly, and I'm laughing at it quite a bit. Like literally, I remember when they were sitting down and hanging out, and they're passing on the platter, and I'm like, oh my god, are they eating deviled eggs? And then they literally were eating deviled eggs. I was like, that is so cartoonishly stupid. <laughs> and and it's like lit with these. The red lighting just looks kind of cheap. It looks like a bad strip club or something. Yeah, and there's all these like crude paintings on the wall. It's like such a cartoony bad guy layer, you know. Oh, and the amount of flashbacks in this movie. I mean, the Crow movies are have a lot of flashbacks, but this right. one, like, they do all these quick shots. I think just to try to look cool, like the first film. And I don't. There's something magical about that initial Crow film by um, Alex Proyas. Yeah, but, but this one, every all these sequels as we've talked about on this program, uh, they just never seem to capture. That magic, even though they try to capture the structure, the the, the flashbacks, the kind of... Hey Chris, what's the War Rocket Ajax podcast about? Well Matt, if we were smart, it'd be about murders. But it's actually about comics. War Rocket Ajax. It's not about murders. But it is weekly on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hunter Hunter. Yu Yu Hakusho. Literary analysis. Comparative localization. Jojo references. The works of Yoshihiro Togashi hold a specific kind of magic, and the people who seek to examine their roots and spiritual descendants are known as the Spirit Hunters, available on the Greenlit Podcast Network. You know, this, in theory, the Crow formula is a pretty good formula. It's like a supernatural death wish. Right, exactly. And yet they manage to screw it up in different ways each time. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the fatal flaws is that they don't, they don't make any of the crows like distinctive in any way, you know, like, mm. like I was saying, make, you know, right. give a guy a freaking staff or a pair of nunchucks or something, make this guy a martial arts expert, make the last guy a fucking shoot lightning out of his fucking eyeballs. I don't know. Well, you know, yeah, just I, some power I, of some kind. 
I knew nothing about this movie going into it, and the whole time when when uh, when Jimmy and Lily get killed in that convenience store, the whole time I thought, "Oh, Lily's going to be the crow, and it's going to be so creepy to have a crow with empty hey, eye anyway. sockets with like, and her yes. blood will become the right, makeup, right, right. and that's going to be really cool." No, that didn't happen. Nope. We like, had a flashback where she like cries blood, I think, for like a like, second. I feel like like a, a lady crow would be a great change up for these movies. A lady yeah. crow, an old man crow, uh, maybe not a baby crow. Perhaps it'd be a little silly, but Bronson but... crow. <laughs> hey kid, each no. one of these rings is a life you destroyed. <laughs> What's that? I, it's, I think it's on Amazon Prime for free or something. But there's a movie. The title is like almost Death Wish or something like that. But it's, oh, it's yeah. played by a Latino actor that looks just like Charles Bronson. Oh no, that's that guy's whole career. Like he he is plays it, yeah. a Bronson type in that's Death funny, Wish ripoff but... movies. I've seen one of them. But he, he's a heck of a, I think he talked about it on the show, but I mean, he's a heck of a dead brainer for Bronson. But I mean, back to the Crow Wicked Prayer, any last uh, thoughts about this picture before we give it our rating of sequel yes or sequel no? Jimmy Cuervo, the Crow, his name, Cuervo is Spanish for Crow. Edward Furlong, but not too far. Oh. <laughs> oh, pretty good. I, 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 just, I just look at the, uh, the DVD box art. It says Passion, Revenge, Eternity. Eternity? What are you trying to say there? This movie feels like an eternity? There's yeah. no sequels for an eternity? What does that even mean, man? It isn't the whole mission of the crow to like resolve your afterlife and like go back to being dead? Right. Passion, revenge, yeah. that's fine. But eternity? Whoever wrote that copy uh, should have thought a bit more. I mean, it is... It, hmm. it, you know what I did like was D- Dennis Hopper as El Nino. El Nino's lair, the strip club in the abandoned Catholic church, full of yeah, full like, of strippers in in Halloween costumes with, with cat like ears. the little like cat ears. Yeah, oh, that was ridiculous. Uh, I loved it. That was really something. Um, so yeah, I give the Crow Wicked Prayer sequel. Yes, I think the unintentional comedy makes this better than it would be otherwise. I, I do. I am a fan of camp. I do like over the top stuff. Um, even though Edward Furlong is is not the best crow, and I think even you know they've been trying to remake the crow for uh, a number of years with uh, James McAvoy and uh, Jason Momoa right, and right. Um, among others, um, you're not going to catch that Matt the the whatever special alchemy with that first one with Brandon Lee, and I just wish he wouldn't have died on the set of that first one because he could have he would have had quite a promising career. It's just. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tragic and, and sad and brings a, a whole pall upon this whole, ser- whole series. But The Crow, Wicked Prayer, I like that this has more fun. I like that it's not, not as dark as Salvation and, and kind of rolling in its own filth. Um, I give this a sequel, yes. I think it's, I like that it's a bit silly and uh, some of the actors at least seem to be having fun with it. Thrasher? Uh I'm gonna give this. I'm gonna give this a, a sequel. Yes, if only because this I, this was a very entertaining bad movie. <laughs> uh, the Dennis Hopper scenes are well worth the price of admission. Uh, no, if if nothing else, at least watch a super cut of all the Dennis Hopper scenes. Uh, <laughs> but it, it make it makes for it makes for an interesting early two thousands relic. Uh, if you want to see a, the, an unquestionably good movie, uh, check out director Lance Mungia's uh, other film, Six String Samurai. It's a cult classic. Uh, mm. It has a great reputation. It lives up to that reputation. But yeah, Crow Wicked Prayer, sequel yes for being an entertaining bad movie. And Alex? <laughs> um, I, despite having Uncle uh, Dennis and almost flirting with being a Western, two things that usually are qualifiers for me, I'm going to have to go with a sequel. No, just 
there for so many reasons um all the convoluted bad backstory flashing backwards sidewards and forwards um edward furlong feels kind of fatally miscast and also i just i, I just wasn't buying any of it and it was um i i feel like all of the things that could be read as um like almost ironically funny are is just bad filmmaking <laughs> so i'm going to have to go with sequel no just because there's just uh this is a this is a dumb movie that's uh <laughs> it's a very stupid film <laughs> i would agree on that speaking of dumb um well, i don't know this could be a good album oddly enough before the crow movie came out there was a a version of the crow that came out a limited edition hardcover they came out with an original soundtrack album by Trust Obey called Fear and Bullets. A tie-in album to a graphic novel in 94. Nice. Pretty unusual. And Trust yeah. Obey is... Uh, I have no idea what kind of music this is. Gothic undertones, sure. Also, speaking of music, sense. I think this is the only Crow film to not have a marginally successful soundtrack <laughs> accompanying it. You're right. Yeah, they don't. They can't afford a Rob Zombie track, unlike all the other pictures. Um, well, there's no yeah. pop music in this. It's all. It all sounds like temp tracks from a western. The end credits has a not great piece of music on there. Oh God, that song was so forgettable. Mm -hmm. Also, there is no ironic deaths. <laughs> no. Of any kind. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, the guy getting hit with the bug zapper is at least kind of creative, but even then, the bug zapper right. doesn't kill him. His neck is snapped after he's sufficiently stunned by the bug zapper. And also, he's stunned several times. Zapper. Yeah, that bug zapper doesn't look like it's powerful enough to kill, like, a large insect. I could see it zapping, like, mosquitoes, but oh it my... doesn't look like a very sturdy bug zapper to begin with. I can't believe I didn't even notice that, but you're right that none of the yeah. deaths are ironic. And you've already given the bad guys such, like, tying them into the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That should be it. Like, I guess yeah. the only one that comes close is, what is it, War, who blows himself up with dynamite? Yeah, after having this, like, strange turn of heart, almost. Because, like, like, pestilence, the whole deal with pestilence is, like, he's got cancer from, like, toxic mind chemicals and only has, like, a year left to live. Like, since the, since you can just make up powers for the crow, why not have the crow do the opposite of the laying on of hands and just touch him and he explodes into tumors or something? Yeah, exactly. I mean, right. crow or, or cure him, but still kill him. So even though he's cured, well, you're still not going to live more than a year. Like, that would be, like... Damn, yeah, yeah, that that is a missed opportunity. That's yeah, at least the other ones had ironic deaths. I mean, even Jackie the, Spielboy the himself could not have made a worse movie, <laughs> although I bet he tried. Oh, well, he, we he tried. Did. Oh, is Shecky calling in right now? Hey, I think we, we hear something from uh Oh oh yeah, no, we uh I made a crow film. It was actually called uh Night of the Falcon, but it okay. infringed on another copyright of a different uh bird themed revenge movie. And then there's also um Dirty Larry the Parrot, which was a dirty hairy knockoff, but with a with another guy running around like a fruitcake with some makeup on. So, you know, there's a lot of possibilities in the bird themed or revenge films. But what was your what was the favorite ironic death you had in one of your your films? Oh, it was um, the uh, old country buffet death where one of the killers works at the old country buffet. So we had him, uh, you know, fill up on the uh, Sunday bar till he exploded. It was a lot like uh, Larry <laughs> Cohen's The Stuff. So, so when he exploded, uh, Shecky, were were the the meals? Was it cooked? Was it raw? C could oh, you make out the right. pieces of food? We we tied a stick of dynamite to some uh to some unfrozen soft serve and spray painted it yellow for a nice skin tone. And uh, yeah, we just uh, let, let that sucker blow. 
Very good. Well, speaking of blow, let's um, thank you, Shecky. We'll give you a call later. We're going to move on okay. to the pitch pitch a sequel for uh, it's it's so hard to do with all these crow movies because they have nothing to do with each other to begin with. Um, I would do something with the uh, the crow. I, okay, I would do something Sci-Fi Channel did for one of their Battlestar Galactica things when they wanted to do a made-for-TV movie and kind of stretch things out. It would be a sequel to Wicked Prayer, but it would be from the point of view of David Boreanaz. And so half, about two-thirds of it would be reused footage from Wicked Prayer, but some of it would be new footage with David Boreanaz showing what he was doing when other stuff was happening. And it would be called uh, The Crow... Wicked Prayer Remixed. <laughs> Wicked Remix? Wicked Remix, there you go. I, I want a techno song or some sort of stuff to sample the Dennis Hopper lines. Mac yeah, Daddy! A... Mac Daddy! Ma- 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 Mac Daddy! <laughs> yes. I so think maybe I know you, you mash up uh, Dennis Hopper stuff with Max Headroom clips. Hey, fans, if uh, listeners, uh, I, I presume a lot to say fans, but you totally do that. If, if you've got talent in that musical area, or even if you don't, send us a Dennis Hopper remix based on sound clips from this movie. That'd be good. Because um, there's there's already a, a super cut of that stuff on YouTube. Just look up Dennis Hopper and Crow. Uh, okay, uh, Alex, what's your pitch of sequel? So my pitch of sequel is going to be called um, Inside Crow, where... Um, Let's just say uh, some guy dies and uh, comes back to exact revenge. But instead, we do an inside-out thing. So we see inside the head of the crow. So instead of, like, you know, um, like, instead of anger, disgust, uh, sadness, you've got um, ironic death, catchphrases, uh, sad flashbacks, and, and, and moping. and um, different. Right, yeah, different actors would just play. Oh, that, that will we'll fold that into the ironic death department. Okay. Um, and each one's played by different actors. So Clint Eastwood's the catchphrase guy. So, you know, when he like, encounters a guy on the sidewalk and you hear Clint Eastwood say, like, welcome to my nightmare. And then the character says it. Uh, Mopiness is played by Bobcat Goldthwaite. Um, uh-huh. And then uh, sad flashback mode is Cynthia Nixon. And then the ironic death slash revenge is Ben Stiller. But what happens is that as he's growing up into his cronus, he, uh, he, he starts to lose his ability to, to concoct ironic death. So, like... He'll shoot a bad guy and then be like, I don't know, leave like a Bible there or something. And then um, they, people lose track of, uh, of, the, of the crow's killings and uh, think it's a copycat killer. And then um, he, he turns himself in and it turns out he's not actually supernatural, but he's just a, a dude. Your cat agrees. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, so I want to take this in another direction and no, it is not outer space. Though, Believe me, I was tempted. So I'm going to move the crow up north. It's going to take place in a uh, in a resort town uh, up in the mountains, you know, a place that does a lot of skiing. However, the resort town has fallen on some hard times. Uh, you know, you've got, you know, you've got uh, drugs moving in, but you find out that what the, the, that uh, some crooked land developers, because I love them as villains, uh, have oh, yeah. discovered that there's some natural resource in the mountain underneath the uh, the ski resort town, and so the the crooked land developers have been putting criminals and putting drugs into the community to make it self destruct, so that they can run everyone out of town and get the land real cheap and and strip mine uh, strip mine the mountain. So uh, this is going to be uh, during the during the setup for the tourist season. Um, 
these uh, these Crooked Land developers are, of course, going to kill a person, uh, kill a guy uh, and, their, and his girlfriend. Uh, and then, you know, what the heck? I might as well do it. Yeah, the girlfriend is going to come back for revenge. Like, she loves skiing. So she comes back as a, as a crow <laughs> and starts, you know, getting revenge. Uh, but it's all, like, all the deaths were going to really take advantage of the fact that it's a skiing town. So people will be, like, mate, will be, like, strapped to skis and thrown off of cliffs. Uh, they'll Ooh. be impaled on ski poles. They'll be hanged from the uh, motorized ski lift. All sorts of awesome stuff. And it'll end... Uh, and, of course, it'll turn out that, as always, the bad guys are into the occult. And the Crooked Land developer will summon an evil yeti. And that'll be the final showdown between between the Lady Crow and the evil Yeti. Uh, and then the, uh, the the Crooked Land developer will get the ultimate of ironic punishment. The Crow, de- developing once again a new power, splits the top of the mountain over and throws him into the very natural resource that he wanted where he drowns or gets irradiated or whatever. We'll see what the hot natural resource is, and that's what it'll be. And then seals the mountain on top of him. Uh, and... Uh, We'll call this, I had a title, but it was awful, so I'm not going to say it. So instead, I'm going to make it uh, Crow Ski Patrol. <laughs> I love I all mean, the ski, uh, ski Patrol, yeah, I can just imagine the uh, the poster having, you know, some, some chicks in bikinis for no reason. Going down a double black diamond. Well, that'll be that'll be the subplot. Is somebody inherits the ski resort and decides, oh, you know what would work sure. if we made a bikini ski resort? So, like in the background, there's a subplot which is a basic cable bikini movie. <laughs> I just picture like the like the bikini ladies with like a pickup truck in the background, with, like the crow's head all big, like sticking out, smiling, like giving a thumbs up with like a oh, snow and hat you know what we'll, And you know what we'll do to give it some legitimacy? It'll have uh, it'll have a uh, cameo from Willie Tallsalt. Ooh, all right. That's a that's a pretty deep cut right there. Um, yeah. Just, so, if, um, if you want to get context for that, check out the Great Bikini Off Road Adventure. Yeah. Before <laughs> we go to the next segment, Thrasher, I'm wondering, do you have a a scene for us to do for the uh, sequel scene or not? I I couldn't. I didn't. I yes, I do. It's very brief, and it only has two characters. Uh, s- sadly, like in in a. In, if there was any justice, we would just have like all the Dennis Hopper lines, and we do round robin Dennis Hopper. Okay, so let's let's maybe um, that's fine. We can just do the two the two scene near the end of the uh, thing. I just was wondering. So on to what you're watching. Um, I watched something I think that you Thrasher in particular might be interested in. It's on YouTube for now, but I'm sure it's going to be pulled down. So you know, people have been or celebrities have been doing these uh, live streams for at pretty low cost to raise money for different things and. Uh, to raise money for the Democratic Party of Wisconsin, there was a Rocky Horror Show live stream. Oh, yeah. Among nice. the people on there was uh, Tim Curry, Barry Bostwick, Nell Campbell, but it also had people like uh, Lance Bass, Josh Gad, Rumor Willis, um, Jason Alexander, David Arquette, Rosario Dawson, you know, a lot of interesting people. And as far as these things go, I've I've seen um, most of it. I'm going to watch the rest of it uh, after we record the show. Tim Curry, they have him play. Uh, I think what's nice is it has kind of a shaggy dog quality to it, which is kind of the case of the movie itself. And if you see yeah, a live show with the actors, it's kind of what you want. Because it's all done over Zoom or whatever uh, chat program they might have done, you know, not everything's quite on time. Unfortunately, like Wilbur uh, Valderamer plays uh, Brad. 
And it doesn't look like he really looked at the lines before, because every time he reads, it looks like it's the first time he's reading in the line. Uh, but in spite of all that, I think you get some... Uh, Tim Curry plays the... Uh, oh, what's the character's name in the wheelchair? The criminologist? Oh, no, uh, Dr. Scott. Dr. Scott. And he also gets to reprise the role of Frankenfurter doing the song, uh, You Better Wise Up, Janet Weiss. But he does it more talking because he's had a, a stroke since 2012. And um, I think he's done some voice acting here and there since then. But he's only appeared on camera in the 2016 Fox uh, straight-to-TV uh, Rocky Horror Show uh, remake as the criminologist, as a narrator. So I think it's interesting if you can find it on YouTube, uh, give it a watch because I think it'll be pulled down pretty quickly. It was meant mm -hmm. only for people that gave donations to the Winston, uh, Wisconsin Democrats. But I think it's pretty cool. People are doing these kind of creative, uh, like kind of, you know, um, live readings of these different things uh, in, in these times when we're socially distanced, although uh, production is picking back up among various uh, places. You know, they're filming Batman again and all these other things. So. Avatar two through six or whatever they've been doing. Again. Oh yeah, <laughs> the Avatar verse, um, which I don't think anyone wanted really. But no, there you yeah. go. I it, didn't it, ask for it. <laughs> and they put like a an Avatar kind of ride thing in uh, what Disney, Disney Animal Kingdom? Is that right? Oh yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, so it's a bunch of blue shit. <laughs> that, that is like okay. So I still haven't seen Avatar, which is what? weird because it's the kind okay. of it's the kind of movie yeah. sci-fi that I often dig, and and it is so fascinating that that was the biggest movie ever made for almost a decade, and no one has any memories of it, and it seems to have had no cultural impact. There are no imitators. There are no ripoffs. Right. You and know, also, I'll, I'll put it on the, the I have the extended version. I'll put it on the Plex server um, and we should do a show on it just because it's yeah. going to get sequels anyway. But the extended yeah. version, I think, is a, is a bit better. But um, Sam Worthington as an actor, I, I, I just think is always a bit flat to me. I just haven't mm. seen him in the right thing, I guess. Um, and I didn't think the CG looked good at the time, to be honest. It, but it did use 3D well. Not quite as good as Jackass 3D, but um, <laughs> it, it was more of like a delivery vehicle for whatever Hollywood's obsession for 3D was, which has already kind of come and gone. Yeah, and it's also kind of funny is that not only is this the biggest movie, but this is also the, one of the biggest instances of people turning on a movie I think I've seen in recent years, where when it came out, everyone was like, oh my god, it's a it's a spectacle, it's a masterpiece, and then I feel like a few weeks went by, and everyone kind of sat down and thought about it, and they're like, wait, this is stupid. It's the same with Titanic, really. I mean, yeah, you know, people like were going to call were calling Titanic would be a big flop, same with Avatar, like, is this a big right. billion-dollar boondoggle or whatever? And yeah, and it wasn't, but um, yeah, I, you know, the 3D stuff, it's always flash in the pan, I don't mind it. It always gives me headaches afterwards, even in this new yeah. 3D. Uh, and it's like in the moment you're having fun with it. And then afterwards, it's really just an afterthought. Like I, I'm thinking at the moment, like, this is cool. And then afterwards, I'm like, when I watch this at home, it's probably going to suck. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I used to have a TV that had the 3D stuff built into it. They took out that really? tech pretty quickly. I mean, one of my friends oh, had a yeah. TV that had a button you could push. You would make anything oh, yeah. 3D. But like I didn't want to spend money on the glasses, so I never because I'm cheap, so I never uh, right, exactly. never never tried it out. And overseas, you still see 3D releases of things like Disney's uh, Frozen and so forth. So I've heard people that are really into 3D um, keep the older TVs around and buy uh, make their uh, uh, Blu-ray or 4K player 
region free and get all these like pricey imports. Because um, stuff like RoboCop was released 3D maybe only in China and that had a 3D disc release, but it didn't in uh -huh. the US. And so, I mean, there, there are fans of the format out there, but you know, it was yeah, 3D. Yeah. 4K, I don't think is really a, a fad, but now you're seeing 8K. Um, what the hell? And you're seeing some 8K in consumer TVs and stuff, but that's like. I, yeah, I understand that. Talk me up about 4K, and I haven't really even grazed it yet. Yeah. It's, well, if, if, we, if only our nation's telecommunications infrastructure wasn't 30 years out of date. Uh, we <laughs> should make that a special episode, I think. That, uh, telecommunications you know, 4K, infrastructure? 8K. Well, that, that too. Well, the internet. Yes. I mean, basically, yeah, the internet infrastructure and everything. Well, welcome to Sequel Cast Special, where we talk about redistricting and reapportionment. Bam. If you can get all your neighborhood to pitch in uh, uh, $50,000, maybe you too can convince an ISP to install fiber in your area. Yeah, um, Damn right. And also region coding. That's another, another hot topic. Yeah, I mean, all that I think would be a great special. Yeah, what, do you want to do that as a special episode after this one? I I think yeah. there's some promise there. Yeah, yeah what, why not? Let's just record that after yeah. this one. Thanks, thanks yeah. listeners, for listening to How the Sausages is Made. Excuse how me. But yeah. This um I can't speak this morning, but yeah, this Rocky Horror 2020 uh, benefit. Find it on YouTube while you still can. It's it it for one thing just kind of warmed my heart to see that Tim Curry uh, d did a Rocky Horror thing again because um I'm just kicking myself for not seeing him when he was in Portland, Oregon in 2019. He was at the Rose City Comic Con and I I didn't go because I was a bit low. I was saving up money for a house, which is a good excuse. But now with COVID and stuff, you're going to see as many celebrities showing up in person when they can do these uh, fan photos and stuff remotely. I don't think so. But maybe hey, I'll does, be wrong. Does, does Tim Curry do do cameos? Um, Good question. Maybe. We ought to look um, into that. That would be fun. Wouldn't it? And have him say some sequel oh, cast thing. That'd be great. Yeah. Because what, what I was reading, Gilbert Gottfried pulls in like uh, uh, over a million a year. Doing cameos, damn! Wow, because he That's he has that screechy voice. Uh, <laughs> people are having You're him... listening to sequel cast two. Oh. <laughs> people are having him uh, read excerpts from um, oh, what was the uh, that stupid erotica trilogy? Yeah, Fifty Shades of Grey. As My he touched her, <laughs> as, as he as he traced the outline of her vagina. Yeah, I mean, it's just this ridiculous <laughs> shit. Have you? seen or heard him reading the uh, lyrics to WAP? Yes, and I heard someone doing a remake, doing a remix, like timing it to the music. That was nice. Cool. I gotta look that one up. Excellent. Glad-ass pussy. Yeah. I, think, yeah. <laughs> um, I thought it was okay. We Are Podcasting. That should be our, our <laughs> God damn. That's pretty good. We Are Podcasting. Okay. Uh, let's go. Um, I've spoken too much about Tim Curry as usual. Uh, Thrasher, what have you been watching? Uh, I, wa I watched a, a number of things, but one of the highlights I, I want to talk about is that uh, I watched, uh, reached all the way back into the Halcyon days of 1993 uh, and watched uh, Johnny Toe's The Heroic Trio starring Michelle Yeoh, Maggie Chang, and uh, Anita Moe. Yes. So I have to ask, was this like a, a version dubbed in English with footage cut out? Because that's this, such the case in so many of these Hong Kong. Um, this like... was dubbed in English. I okay. don't think it was missing any footage. Although hmm. I'm not, I, I will admit I can't be 100% sure. So is this from the 90s, I'm guessing, from the title? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's from 1993. Oh, okay. And uh, how does it hold up? Overall, pretty well. Like, it's, 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 
it's like all it's all the best parts that you might get in a superhero or action movie, but without without any of the filler. So as a result, there are parts of the film that are very hard to follow, but you get so swept up in it that really does not matter. Nice. There's, and uh, um, have you I, seen this one, Alex? Any thoughts on this picture? Oh, I love this movie. It's, you know, perfectly insane. Um, awesome Hong Kong wuxia action. And funny little bit of uh, trivia. Have you ever seen the Olivier Assayas movie um, Irma Vep? No. I, I have seen the stage play Irma Vep. I have not yeah, seen Yeah, so Olivier Assayas kind of does this, this like meta commentary on filmmaking and that Irma Vep story where um, – uh, Jean-Pierre Liard plays a French filmmaker, um, not unlike, you know, Olivier Sayas, who's remaking his own um, version of the Les Vampires um, uh, serial. And he wants to cast Maggie Chung, and the director in the movie wants to cast her because he's saying Heroic Trio. So you get to see footage of Heroic Trio in an artsy-fartsy um, French film. And he's like, I saw you, the movement in this is why I want to cast you in my uh, vampire movie. So it's a fun little tie-in there. But it's really cool because, like, the like, Hong Kong like wire work really lends itself well to like superheroic action. So it's it's and great. You got that like steely blue night and fog, and it's uh, so cool. So it's just it's just so great. It's just great seeing them do everything you would see done in like a spider, a really good Spider-Man or Batman comic, but all done with practical effects. Yeah, it's so much better. <laughs> to, to the point where I would love. I would love to see, I wish somebody was daring enough to make a Spider-Man or Batman movie that only used practical effects. I mean, the closest I, I can think it. of, and it's not really a superhero, is Jackie Chan did City Hunter. Oh, yeah. Yep, yeah. That was... It's funny, it was a Japanese serial. Um, I've got the anime, actually. I found a bootleg in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of the, um, yeah. But yeah, all, and, all of the all of these sort of like comic book exaggerations and gags from the manga they kept yes. in that live action movie, which means characters can pull out giant hammers from nowhere and clobber perverts. <laughs> That's pretty right. <laughs> Not just that, but you have um, in that Jackie Chan City Hunter show, uh, it it's led to the birth of these kind of infamous animated gifts of Jackie Chan as um, I think he does Guile from Street Fighter. He does Chun Li. Yeah. And the white guy is Ken, or, and they have the sound effects from the game. It's pretty um, kind of surreal to see that the yeah. first time. Definitely. Uh, and every time he does something, it goes, City Hunter. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, right. And the opening credits are this like really inventive sort of hip. Uh, almost seems like a shout out to the opening credits of the Batman uh, 60s movie. Hmm. Oh, yeah. So in short, check out the heroic trio, and it's something yes. we could talk about in the future because it does have a pseudo sequel. There you go. Oh yeah, very good. Um, great. Well, let's do the sequel scene. It just it's a twofer, as you said. And uh, why don't you set it up? And um, it's just between two characters. I mean, is there much set up to do, Thrasher? Not really. This is this is when this is when uh, Jimmy, as the crow, is sort of surrounded by all the angry townsfolk. And they're starting to come around to the fact that maybe they're all on the same side. Uh, so it's him talking. So it's Jimmy talking with uh, Harold, the uh, priest uh, played by Danny Trejo. Nice. So um, who wants to play who? I'll, okay, I'll do Harold. You do Harold? Uh, do you mind if I do Cuervo, Alex? No, not at all. Oh, jump right in. Okay. I like Thrasher that you answered for Alex. <laughs> 
Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I'm jump sorry. Right no, I, I can say you can do Harold if you want. Oh, yeah. Jump right in. Definitely. No. Okay. So I'll be Quirrell. Uh, Will, you'll be Harold. Right. Um, she believed in you. She believed in all of you. She believed in fairy tales. Who are you to tell me what she believed in? I'm the fairy fucking godfather that's going to save your fairy fucking tales. What a bad line. That's so <laughs> cool. It's sort of clever, but it feels out of place in this movie. It, it seems a like a lot of lines they just inserted fuck randomly. Yeah, and also, I, I think a fairy godfather doesn't sound right. I think it's a fairy godmother, but... They wouldn't make him look as butch, see? And nothing screams right. butch like Edward Furlong. Oh, totally, yeah. <sighs> he did not like a Winona Ryder going to a kiss show at all in the makeup. <laughs> you know, I mean, one part he could um, play... Uh, that's a bit more feminine looking as uh, the main, if they ever did a movie of Final Fantasy X, he could play Titus. He looked a little oh, yeah. like Meg Ryan. I mean, I think he could pull that off. Make his. That's what I was thinking of. He also, you know, he looked like um, Pris from, from Blade Runner, you know, towards the end where she has like <laughs> mime makeup on. Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> I could see that. Right. With the, the hair. He looked like I a mean, lot of pretty women. Yeah. I could, I could, like, it, it would have it been neat to play up, to play up androgyny for the character. I think that would also have been a bold choice, but it seems like it's an, it's accidental in this film. Yeah, like I said, like, he, like, throughout, I'm like, he looks like a, like, he, he reminds me of Pretty Women. Like, I think I'm like, May Ryan, went on a rider. <laughs> like, I, I got it. Carolina. Edward Furlong, Nintendo, if they do Legend of Zelda, make him Link. Huh. Yeah, there you go, right? Yeah. Kind of an elfin thing I could see going on. Uh, yeah, okay. Totally. So, enough about, um, teasing Edward Furlong. Let's let's wrap this up here. Uh, so you can uh, catch the show at sequelcast2.com. Follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. And uh, if you have the Apple Podcast app, uh, please give us a, a, a good review. All that helps with the, the listenerships. You know, not too long ago in the movie reviews segment, we were in the top 10 in the Philippines. So you never know nice. who's listening. To, uh, to our podcast here, and we're grateful for any and all listeners, although we seem to get a lot of expats uh, listening who are stationed overseas, um, or, or just live overseas. They don't have to be stationed there, but there you go. Um, also, you know, the theme song is by Mark with a C. Check out his music, markwithac.com. And you can hear us on Stitcher, uh, Spotify, um, pretty much anywhere there's a podcast, you can find Sequel Cast 2 and Friends, um, and we're a part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. Pressure. Yep, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at Internet Mayor. Of course, uh, I, I have contributed to a lot of uh, tabletop RPG books, so look for uh, William Thrasher or William T. Thrasher wherever you like to buy your RPG books, and uh, you know, f- find find my names. Uh, I've got uh, I'm working on some new Fading Suns books now, so that's going to be awesome, and I'll be able to I'll be able to say more uh, once they get closer to completion. Uh, so yeah, I've got a lot of uh, I've got a lot of fun irons in the fire right now. And Alex, uh, you can find me on the Twitter at Crab Nebula nineteen fourteen. Check out the YouTube channel, The Trailer Project. We're actually doing trailer commentaries again, um, alongside some musical themed uh, video montages. And if you leave us a review on iTunes, and if you reference a movie, The Trailer Project will cover it for you. Um, that's a guarantee. Though I haven't checked recently in the past week, but. I haven't checked in the past month, so that's better than me. I'll I'll have to check that out. Um, Fantastic. (laughs) Okay, so uh, for Sequel Cast 2, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. And this is Alex. Saying, I now pronounce you the devil in his shorty, man.
I'm the fairy fucking godfather that's going to save your fairy fucking tales. Who are you to tell me what she believed? Come on, shorty. Say yeah, you do.